Hello, I'm Marie Sneijman. Welcome to Calm, Clear and Helpful, a weekly podcast series on taking good care of yourself and others, introducing you to a wide range of wellness professionals ready to inform and inspire. Today's topic is the four portfolios of positive living and aging. My guest is Dr. Hanneke van Seyl Eerling, counseling psychologist, accredited mediator, public speaker, writer and artist from Johannesburg. Welcome, Hanneke. Hello, Marie, and hello, listeners. To our listeners, after our conversation, Hanneke will give us her four favorite tips for positive aging, and then it will be fun question time. Haniki, for those listeners who haven't listened to our other episodes, could you tell us what you do? Mariette, I originally studied to be a dietitian, but I very soon realized that dealing with the physical body is only a very small part of a much greater body-mind-spirit complex. So then I added psychology into the mix and have been busy with that ever since. So nowadays I'm in private practice as a psychologist where I help people deal with various life challenges. I do retirement workshops for companies and other groups and as you've probably gathered, positive living is my passion. So in the last 10 years, I've increasingly focused on retirement preparation and positive aging and this involves helping people plan for and coping with the challenges of later life. Yes, and I must mention that although I don't see you retiring ever, you really walk your talk when it comes to positive living. Thank you. I can't see myself retiring either, <laughs> but I am definitely scaling down, mm. And um, but we'll discuss some of those aspects a little bit later. Yes. Now, you and I are both baby boomers, and worldwide, we boomers are turning 65, as I read, at the rate of 10,000 per day. Absolutely. Now, there may be safety in numbers, but when we retire, so many aspects of our lives change. Our bodies change. Our circumstances change. Our social circles and financial situation change. And all of this affects our quality of life. Today, you're going to address healthy aging and positive living. What are some of the key factors here? Let's just look at the, the different concepts of healthy aging and positive living. So healthy aging means that there are four areas that we look at. So longevity, physical, emotional, and cognitive health. So when you are good in all four of those areas, you are aging healthily. Now for positive living, the picture broadens a little bit and we add finances and social to the mix. So I call these your four life portfolios. So those are financial, social, physical health, and then psychological health. And all four of those need attention regularly. So one has to plan them, upgrade them, because they need to support us when things change going forward. So we need to assess their performance regularly, just like you would a financial portfolio, actually. And any attrition needs to be compensated for. So, for example, if your friends move away, you have to actively find new friends. If your children move overseas, you adopt other children. <laughs> um, 
proverbially. We, we're talking nowadays about families of association rather than necessarily your families of origin. So we have to keep working at those social connections especially. Why do we need to talk about these four portfolios? Oh my goodness. This is an awareness-raising exercise because those four important areas of your life are going to determine the quality of your life going forward. Did you know that, shockingly, only 10% of people adequately plan their finances? And I have to tell you, fewer people know that you have to plan your social life, your psychological health, your physical health. So the, the big drive here is to get people to be aware of what might happen so that you can prepare in advance and you're not shocked by the, the suddenness of the changes that happen. I often see in my practice people who have done no preparation for retirement and it literally is as if they fall into a black hole after they've retired. It is dire if one doesn't know what to expect. So retirement is not just a jolly time. It can be, but only if you have planned for it. Otherwise, it is a void that has almost no end and it gets people depressed like you can't believe. So it's a little like going to a strange country. You must know something about it. Oh, yes. Before you go. And in fact, a lot of people, when they retire, go to a strange country. <laughs> they move to a different place. They lose their, their contacts and support. And then they wonder why this thing that they looked forward to for such a long time now isn't happening. And so there are certain things that you need to do to connect into your future. And we always say you have to plan at least five years in advance of retirement, preferably longer, especially with finances, you have to start really early. But you, you need a good lead in to the new phase of your life. So these portfolios for me are the cornerstones of a successful life. They, they're obviously interdependent. And so the condition of one can detract from the condition of the others. So for example, if your finances aren't good, your health might suffer. And if your money is good, but you're bored and lonely, what's the point of the whole story? Mm. So we need to know that they, they interact with one another. Um, but I would say that the finances are very often at the core of the issue. And so there's, and in fact, most of the retirement preparation that I see people um, have done um, is in the finance section, thankfully. True. But as I said earlier, very few do it sufficiently. Would you agree that aging for baby boomers looks very different from aging in our parents' and grandparents' days? Goodness me, yes. So now for those who may not be aware of it, the baby boomer era was those of us born between 1946 and 1964. So these people are incredibly different from how our grandparents were. I can remember my grandfather in his 40s sitting on the stoop waiting for his death. He waited a while. He only died at <laughs> 75. But that was a boring time for him. Mm. And so now the, the baby boomers nowadays have very, very different expectations. Now, it is coupled with greater longevity. So 40 for us is not even halfway. Reaching 100 
is entirely possible. And some of the researchers say that there are people already walking on the planet who will probably reach 150. Goodness. So it, it's a long time <laughs> that we have to look forward to and, and to plan for. But there are a few other facts that I, that I just wanted to know if you were aware of. Currently, there are more than a billion people in the world over the age of 60. There's this age wave mm. of people who, who are now reaching their, their 60s and older. One um, estimate is that two-thirds of all people who have ever been in the world, 65 years old, are living on the planet now. Yeah, the mind boggles. <laughs> it's incredible. So all these people can have a really great time or it can be a plague of being miserable. I think that's the choice that we have to make. But unless we are aware of these things and we can plan ahead, it's probably going to be a long time of misery. So longevity that isn't accompanied by good health mm -hmm. is not a great thing. The first portfolio is physical health. Which fears are often connected to physical health and aging? Two come to mind immediately. The one is to lose one's physical capacity. The other one is to lose your mind. And in fact, there's a third one, short on seals, that we won't have enough money. Mm. So those three are, are hugely important. But on the physical health side, it is really important that one maintains your physical strength and suppleness and your, your fitness because it's a long time to be infirm. Now, some of the overseas statistics show us that some people have a period of 12 years or more where they actually are infirm. Now, that isn't a great picture of longevity. So what we want nowadays, and we can get to that place, is what we call the rectangularization of aging. Now, I'm just going to explain a little bit. Previously, we thought that people peaked at 40 and that after age 40, it was a diagonal downhill all the way until you finally depart. Nowadays, they find that with the right interventions, with being proactive on your own behalf, that diagonal decline doesn't have to happen. In fact, they know now that one's brain doesn't have to deteriorate. You can have even brain growth. You can grow in physical fitness. So instead of a triangle, we now can have a rectangle where you maintain your capacity and you keep going at a lovely rate. You keep learning, you keep doing things, and then there's a very short, sharp decline towards the end so that there isn't this long, um, drawn-out period of suffering and infirmity. So now just those baby boomers of us, we want freedom and fun and purpose and hope, and all of those things we now can build in when we have that rectangle rather than the triangle in the, in the aging process. There's also uh, another term that I came across that I thought was really quite interesting. They talk about squaring of the survival curve. 
but it's pretty much the same thing. So we, we, we're not on this decline anymore, but we are on a, on a good horizontal path where we maintain what we've got. But anybody who knows about physical fitness will understand that. Um, I spoke to a friend of mine in the week. She had, she'd broken her foot and she had to wear a moon boot for a while. And she said she was shocked by how much strength she lost just in the time that her leg had to recover. So one has to be aware of these things and you have to continuously work at keeping your body in, in good shape. But there's another thing that I just wanted to mention. I saw such a beautiful little video about Mick Jagger. Now, he is 80 years old now, but he is so physically fit and active, it is amazing. And I think what we need to do is we need to find for ourselves different role models because the people from our past, our grandparents, weren't great role models around aging. So we have to really look for people who can inspire us and who can show us that that boundary can be set at a very different place from where we did. We listened to the Ken Dijkvalk podcast the other day, or it actually was a TED talk, I think, that he did, or a YouTube uh, presentation, where he was talking about how the, the four-minute mile influenced people, True, and where people used to think it was impossible for humans to do better than the four-minute mile, until one guy broke it, and then suddenly people realized it was possible, and very soon several had broken that. It's that same kind of expectation around aging that we need to change for ourselves. So we don't necessarily have to go downhill as we go older, but it doesn't happen automatically, and we have to, to be very proactive on our own behalf. Just something that I think people may not um, realize is that we, as a, as a species, didn't have a very long life expectancy until very just recently. The Romans, for example, only lived to about 42. You were considered quite ancient already at sure. age 42. So I think the, the mindset developed during those times. And because we don't really have examples, we, we kind of accept that. But we need to find new examples and set a different goal, as I said just now. Haniki, what can we put in place to stay as healthy as possible for as long as possible? How much time have you got, Marit? <laughs> this, I'm, I'm just going to do a few pointers because this is a big topic, but I've picked out a few of my favorites there. The first one is one has to decide and you have to consistently do whatever you've decided to do and then obviously get feedback about how well it's working and adjust, kind of course correct as you go along. But without a decision, nothing mm. is going to happen. More specifically, we absolutely need to eat right. So nowadays there is a huge push towards healthy, organic, homegrown, no artificial additives and preservatives. We There's also... Um, dramatic trend towards lower carbohydrate, which obviously lowers the insulin, lowers the inflammation, and with inflammation going down, many of the degenerative problems just disappear. So that whole train is incredibly important. We need to look after our gut health. 
don't know if you know this, but 90% of the serotonin in our bodies, the happy neurotransmitter, is actually produced in the gut. And so if your gut bacteria aren't good, then nothing else is going to be wonderful. And so add a lot of fermented foods, things like sauerkraut and kimchi and kefir and those kind of foods to, to replenish the good bugs in the gut. And then um, maybe even some specific replacements. But the gut flora is, is prime at the moment. In fact, the... There's, there's such a strong link that they're thinking that there's almost a direct link into Alzheimer's if the gut bacteria aren't good. So the physical body and the state of the inhabitants of your mm. body is really uh, terribly important. Then we need to figure out how to deal with stress. That is a big topic, but breathing is very much part of it. So we always say to people, when you're feeling stressed, do the smell the roses, blow out the candles, breathing four counts in, slow counts out, so that your body can recalibrate and the calming side of the nervous system can take over again. One of the biggest assets for positive living and aging is to remain active. And especially if one is active, you get those stem cells in the brain to wake themselves up. And if you then do some new learning, then the brain can form new pathways and you, you can build up on the brain strength rather than having the old pathways just deteriorate. Another thing hugely important is to sleep well. There's a, there's a lot around avoiding blue light at night, getting your screens to go dark, uh, maybe even using blue light filtering glasses. There's a relatively new system that people may not know of called the glymphatic system. So we all know about the lymphatic system, but the glymphatic system is like the cleaning crew in the brain. And that only works when you sleep well, when you have good quality sleep. So if your, if your sleep pattern isn't great, your brain doesn't clear out and then all this clogging and building up of plaque and other waste products will happen in your brain. So to, to keep a clear head, you have to sleep well. There's also there's a, an app that I absolutely love called Insight Timer that has some binaural tracks on that put different wavelengths in different ears and get your brain to calm down. So we use a lot of those. Uh, we use technology actually to help us to, to sleep well and best to get away from medications for sleep unless it's melatonin, in which case it's a good thing because melatonin production in the body goes down as we age, um, but it also protects against cancer and all sorts of other things. So it's one of uh, the sleep assisters that I actually rather like. Then there's uh, a lot nowadays about grounding, about back to nature, about walking barefoot on the soil so that you can get some good electrical charges going in your body. Amazingly successful to help with things like arthritis and sleeplessness and even depression. So it's really worth doing a bit of study on the grounding. And then I think we need to have fun. There's no point 
to an extra 35 years in your life if they're going to be boring. <laughs> so we, we need to find ways to enjoy things and have fun and have fun with people. And if we if we, one is able to, to travel or get new things going, um, to bring some variety into your life. Also, um, gather that being connected with others is one of the mainstays of positive living and aging. And also the the physical connection with people. It helps your body to produce oxytocin, which is that sense of connectedness that we have with other people, but it also helps to de-stress. And so things like a six to ten second hug is hugely important and it brings that connection with people and it helps both of you. And then I think my most favorite is to keep learning so that you you keep organizing those neural pathways into new paths. Now, we, we spoke, I think, previously about the nun study and what the nuns did. But that Sister Bernadette who had the... She had the double Alzheimer's genes. She had this... When she finally passed away, her brain was one of the smallest and one of the most worn down brains in the study and yet she showed no signs of cognitive decline and that was because of the learning and the activity and the keeping new brain parts going where the others had already deteriorated. Yes, we spoke about that in another podcast episode on the myths of aging. Yes. That we needn't keep alive. And I will attach the link to that podcast to this one. Great. Because specifically because people think there's nothing to be done about Alzheimer's or you can't protect your brain, there's a lot that can be done to prevent and treat. Now we're coming to our psychological well-being. Which factors influence our mental and emotional well-being? I think the most important thing is a positive outlook. One of the researchers in positive psychology, in fact, he's known as the father of positive psychology, Martin Seligman, he found, for example, that optimists live about 19% longer than pessimists. That's amazing. It's incredible. And so the, the way that you see things helps to boost your body, it de-stresses you. So all these things are kind of intertwined. But the positive outlook was incredible. Just referring back to that nun study, they found that with the, with the nuns' entry into the convent when they were young, they had to write some letters. Their, their language capacity was one of the main predictors, but the other one was their positivity. And so when they correlated their attitude early to how they aged later, there was fantastic correlation with their positive attitude and how well they did in, in later life. And then, of course, the other huge factor is that we need to get our needs met especially our need for attention. Now, this is where retirement becomes such a problem because suddenly all the attention that you got from work and everybody at work, whether it was demanding or not, they wanted things from you, all of that just suddenly disappears. And people don't know how to get their needs for attention met in this sudden void. And then at that time, once children have moved out of the house, um, they're not nearly as demanding as they used to be. One schedule isn't so tight and suddenly 
um, all on my own and I don't know how to feed myself emotionally. <laughs> so now those basic needs are, besides the need for attention, things like the need for security, the need for variety, and those two are opposed to one another. If there's too much security, things become really boring. If there's too much variety, people get a bit too ruffled. So one needs to get the balance between those. Then also, one needs to still feel significant that people need you, they want you, they, something that you do has meaning for, for others. We want to feel connected to, to other people in special relationships. And you can see how treacherous it becomes when your support system moves away, you move away from work. So suddenly, it really becomes very difficult to have these needs met. Also, our sense of contribution suddenly falls away. And whereas one was um, active in your career and there was a sense of growth, now suddenly, no growth. So the need for connection and a sense of purpose, those we need to pay very special attention for. So we want something that we want to get out of bed for. And we need inspiration and hope. You've written a very helpful book called Distilled Wisdom, A Guide to Positive Living and Aging. In it, you emphasize the fact that we actually have more control over our lives than we realize. Would you like to say more? Yes, I would. So I've alluded to this already, but we can actively intervene in the aging process. Even as far as genetic expression goes, the, there's a little saying that says your genes load the gun and your behavior pulls the trigger. So we can switch certain genes on or off by our behaviours, but then again you have to know about it and you need to know that exercise can do certain good things for you. Eating these foods are going to cut the inflammation down, that kind of thing. So that awareness is really hugely important. Just something about the book. This is the e-version of the original book and I updated the nutrition section there a bit. The original book was over the hill, but with the hill crossed out and then moon in its, in its place. So it's basically the, the similar, just with the nutrition section mm. a bit upgraded for the e-version. And that also expresses the attitude, doesn't it, that you promote? Don't see yourself as being over the hill. You see, you see to it that each day has a, an aspect of feeling over the moon. Yes. Now, just on that score, I... I think people do a self-fulfilling prophecy. They think that when I turn 60, now I'm old, I have to grunt when I get up. <laughs> I, I, I can't bend down so easily anymore. All those things that they learned from fairy tales when they were little, those things are now coming to roost. So these self-fulfilling prophecies are horrible and in fact, we say that you are going to get the old age that you expect you're going to get. So we, we need to be very aware of how we think, what we think, what we speak about, which jokes we promote, um, because all of those, if you, if you send a joke about infirmity in aging, you're actually tacitly agreeing with that. So people need to raise their awareness and to, to find new ways of expressing themselves so that these difficult thoughts don't become our reality. Yes. 
Are there practical ways to move the way we view and experience reality in a more positive direction? Yes, definitely. I think the, the one is by finding a role model that you can emulate, because quite clearly, if one person is able to do this, others could be able to, to do that as well. And then my, my sense is that one has to, when you've got that picture of who you want to be or what you want to be in your mind, you use it as you would use a lighthouse if you were adrift at, at sea. You would then focus your efforts to get there. You may not be there yet, but it cuts out a whole lot of flailing and thrashing about <laughs> when, you, when you know what direction you want to move in. Yeah. So again, it's the awareness, it's the attention, it's the decision, and it's then the follow-through. So those are the things that we mm. need to mm. work on. Anika, you often refer to the value of mindfulness, and you've also mentioned Insight Timer, which falls under that category. How do you practice mindfulness in your own life? I listen to Insight Timer at least once, if not twice a day. The, I have a little lunchtime recharge ritual, and then um, I sometimes put the Insight Timer on my head when I go to bed at night as well with a sleep binaural. Um, the other is that it's really important for me that one focuses deliberately on what went well and to complain as little as possible. So to, to try to reframe things in a way that you can see the bright side of it. So the glass half full rather than the glass half empty kind of deal. Um, yes, and then the other thing that's very important for me is to be grateful. There is so much that we can be grateful about and to, to tell people that you appreciate what they've done or to just be grateful to the Lord for what he's done for us, those things I think make it so, so worthwhile. Before we recorded this episode, you introduced me to the concept of time affluence and the effect it has on retirees' quality of life. Now, please, what is time affluence? <laughs> I love this new concept, and, but I must say it is a challenge and it needs a mind shift of note. But basically, time affluence is the luxury of having lots of time. Now, I want people to think back to when they had young children or even babies they didn't sleep at night, they had to keep a household running, they had to keep a job running. There was so much time pressure that we, we get into doing things in a hurry, everything is quick. I hear myself speak, I can I have to quickly do that. Um, and actually, at the moment, there is no need to rush things. So it's that switch of how are we going to use this time beautifully now? And so... I, I think that time affluence can be a blessing and a curse, but, you know, it's a little bit like the dog who chased the car and then when he found it, he didn't know what to do with it. Mm. Suddenly, we've wished for all this time, but what are we going to do with it now? But I think, the, for me, all the things that we had to set aside because there wasn't time, it's time to get those out now and maybe then some so one can learn a new language and you can take as long as you like because there's no time pressure you can play a new musical instrument you can redo your garden you can travel you can visit people you can actually visit for a long time if you're having fun and you don't have to rush because there's something else that needs to get done 
but it's almost again a decision to enjoy the time because people who are still in the old time space really struggle with this. One of my clients said by nine o'clock in the morning, he's thinking, I don't know what I'm going to do with my day because I've done everything that I wanted to do already. Now, that's not a great use of the time influence. <laughs> but when one gets into the, the savoring of it and really enjoying it, then, then you've got it, mate. <laughs> yeah, thank you for the word savoring. I think that explains it very well. And how does the way we manage time affluence affect our identity and self-worth? It completely ties in with how those needs are met. So if we can find ways to meet our needs, the time affluence is well used. If we can't find ways to meet our needs, then that affluence is a curse. So especially the needs for connectedness, for having a purpose, for doing something useful. And so one of the things that we encourage people to do is to do charity work where there's purpose, there's the, the being needed, um, there's community. We, we can get a lot of the needs met through that. And if, if one doesn't have financial pressure, it obviously is great. Otherwise, see if you can get some kind of a paid activity going. So it might be a good idea to ask yourself what your needs are and be clear about them. And then you may have a clearer idea of which activity would address those needs. Exactly. So those six needs, security, variety, significance, connectedness, contribution, personal growth, and then like an umbrella over them, your need for attention. Right. I will include in the podcast notes a summary of these needs because I think then someone can go back yes. to them if they now, like. Obviously the other needs as well is like it has to be beautiful around me yeah. or um, can you think of something else there but, but people have some specific needs yes. or I, I, I can't stand a lot of noise so it has to be quiet around me or I need to be able to walk easily or um, not feel threatened by whatever is going on in the street. So those are, are kind of more specific needs, mm. but the very basic ones, mm. the attention and those mm. six that, that I spoke about there. Thank you. Do you have practical advice on how best to handle time affluence? Yes. Again, it takes that mindset change, but I think one has to plan your, your day a bit. The, there was a lovely little thing about having a, some kind of a plan and a purpose for your day that gets dopamine activated in your head, which is the, the, the neurotransmitter that gets you up and going and makes you feel as if you have a purpose, a movement and motivation. So set some goals and make some plans. Even if you have to change them, that's also okay. We did mention the savoring. So really enjoying um, sitting and watching the sunset, um, maybe even putting your hand to painting it or describe it in a poem or so. All those beautiful things that we couldn't appreciate when we were so hectically busy and on the hamster wheel. So try new things, learn new skills. And yes, be patient and kind with yourself because it is a different way of being. But I think old Eckhart Tolle's being in the moment is really important. And then for me is to not necessarily compare yourself now 
to your old self who was so busy. If you have those expectations, it's going to be very different. So be with who you are now, not with who you used to be. The third element is our social portfolio. Many people facing their later years fear isolation. You have referred to that. I did. What would you say to them? I think loneliness is one of those self-fulfilling prophecies. If one believes that you're going to be lonely in old age, you're not going to make an effort to make friends. Um, and then when you're lonely, you say, see, told you so. I have such a lovely example. My aunt lived most of her adult life on a farm in the Karoo. And then when my uncle died, she moved to a retirement complex in Bloemfontein. And I asked her, how did she get into that new environment? And she said, it was actually quite easy. I see someone that I think looks interesting and I go up to them and I say, hello, this is my name. Who are you? Would you like to have tea? Let's go for a walk. So she actively engaged and, and made, a, made a proactive effort to, to get contact with those people. But you, you know that loneliness is one of the strongest predictors of healthcare failure. Really? And of a difficult later life. So I just want to also mention here the difference between solitude, um, isolation and loneliness. So solitude is a state of being alone, but people usually quite revel in that. I find that the introverts are quite good with that. They're used to doing their own thing, minding their own business, going about whatever it is that they, that they need to do. So for them, the, the solitude's not the, the problem. But isolation is that lack of social relationships and emotional support where you're literally on your own little island and there's nobody or nothing around you. And loneliness is the craving for social contact and very often linked to the feelings of sadness and, and emptiness. So we, we find that um, people are very often alone even when they are amongst others. And one of the really sad things that I have seen quite a bit of recently is where an older person goes to live with their children and the children think they're doing them a huge favor and this person is alone the entire day while the family are out and they're doing their very busy schedules. And this person's isolated and, in effect, abandoned. Now, we know that isolation and abandonment feel to one's subconscious like you're going to die. It feels like you've been cast out and left on, on the scrap heap. So it is a hugely horrible place for people to be. And I actually think that people would be far better off going into a, um, a lifestyle village or a retirement complex where there are lots of people and you can interact with them or not as you please. But they have physical activities and they have social activities and there is no need to feel isolated or alone. But the whole thing about generational isolation can happen at, at any age. I think a lot of people experience that during the lockdown. A lot of children who do homeschooling, I think, are generationally isolated. But it's, it's something that we more commonly associate with the older generation, where they, they kind of 
um, hard-nosed and don't want to move out of their property. And then they're all alone and their neighbours couldn't give a damn and their friends have all moved away. And so what use is your independence if you're going to be totally miserable? So find a place in a complex where you can be as independent as you like, but there's support and company when you need it. That's very sensible. Haniki, in your book, Distilled Wisdom, you explain the concept of developing a social portfolio, which I find fascinating. Now, how does this work? This is a lovely concept that I found in a, in a research by the name of Gene Cohen's work. He wrote a lovely book, The Mature Minds Are Well Worth Reading. But he says you have to work on your social life just as you would on your financial portfolio. So that's actually where the whole portfolio story came from for me. But he divides one's, um, can we say, leisure activities into four quadrants. So on the, on the top line, you have group efforts and individual efforts. And going down, you would have high mobility, high energy and low mobility, low energy. So, for example, in the group effort with high mobility, people would participate in a dance or theatre group, or they would be in a hiking club, or they together join a community outreach programme where they have to go and travel into the bundus and go and work with people. So a lot of physical activity, but also group connection. The individual high mobility ones are like, for example, walking in your garden or going on a photography trip, but not necessarily with other people. So the lower mobility or lower uh, energy group efforts would be like a dinner club or a book club, something where preferably you can have regular contact with the same people and develop some friendships in the, in the process. And then the individual low mobility would be your, your own things that you do at home, whether it is sewing or painting or woodwork or making photo albums or writing email letters, those kind of things. But the whole idea of the portfolio is that you have good representation in each one of the quadrants. And so, for example, the lady who broke her foot, she can't do her hiking club at the moment, but book club's still okay. And so there's support in that area. And as I said earlier, if people move away or one activity comes to an end, find another one to replace it so that you don't find yourself with an empty portfolio and no support when you need it. Do you have practical pointers regarding a healthy social portfolio? Definitely. This specifically if one wants to move to a different location because then a lot of your support falls away. So what I usually say to people is, let's say you want to move to Stolby, like I think I would like to do. Make sure you have a support system there already. Get to know the people in the shops, in the, in the businesses there. Find some friends. Participate in some of the club activities so that you don't go into an empty situation. It's not a vacuum that you move in. There's already some basis for what's going on. There's a, there's a lovely little TED talk by Susan Pinker that I would love people to, to look at. She talks about the small contacts that we don't realize 
give us the support base for the attention need. For example, if you go to the pharmacy, the pharmacist knows you. Yes. The, the petrol attendant where you regularly fill up your car, they know you, they have a little chat. All those little connections make up quite a good base for our attention needs. And if you haven't replaced those when you want to move somewhere, there's again that void that just suddenly strikes. So Robert Waldinger also talks about in his TED Talk the social connections that one has to actively pursue. And I think the other thing is, especially if one is in a new place, people are shy or they don't think about it or they it's not necessarily a specific need for them. They don't necessarily think, oh, shame, she's just moved in, let's ask her over. You've got to make the effort. And so I can't emphasize enough that proactivity. And even if they don't ask you back immediately, keep going. Find other people who are interested. Don't give up. Keep going. But also make sure that you, you join some groups, like the, the U3As almost mm. everywhere. So groups where people have similar interests or a, a walking group or so, they're, they're usually relatively easy to break into. Yes, and these two TED Talks you yes. mentioned, I'll, yes. I'll mention them in the podcast notes. Yes. And then also the U3A, which is the University for the Third Age. Of the Third Age. Of the Third Age, yeah. yeah. Which I've looked at and they have wonderful activities. They do have beautiful things. Yeah. Just a quick explanation of what I do. I'm a content entrepreneur creating podcasts and articles for my own platform and for various magazines and digital platforms. My website contains a growing collection of podcast episodes and articles on emotional health, parenting, love relationships and the life challenges we all face. Each episode or article showcases a therapist, coach or other wellness professional so you can get to know them and easily find an expert who will resonate with you should you need one. So far, I've interviewed 100 well-being providers from many countries. After all, online therapy and coaching means we can connect across continents. If you love getting a glimpse of the person behind the professional, click on Up Close and Personal on my website for articles on many of the experts I've featured. And if you're a wellness professional interested in being my podcast guest or being featured in an article on my platform, or perhaps in a South African magazine, take a look at services on my website and send me an email. Now... Back to my guest. The fourth and last portfolio is our financial situation. I think many people, including younger individuals, worry about whether their money will last as long as they will. Could you comment? Very often it doesn't. Remember now, with this longevity, we might have to fund 35 or more years of retirement. That is longer than some people actually worked. 
Money running out is a real concern, especially with inflation and savings. If you if you have to dip into them, they have a very finite life. So I just want to say up front, I'm not a financial advisor. And I think it really is important to work with a reputable financial advisor. I actually like the, the ones who are independent because they don't feel compelled to push their company's product. They can probably give you a bit more of a, of a wider range of products. But this person, you must feel that they have your needs at heart and they must also work with you through your different life stages. So traditionally, the financial advisors worked in what we call the accumulation phase. So until the point of retirement and then after they left you. And so what they're starting to wake up to is that in the decumulation phase, one needs as much or even more support. And the advisor needs to be wise to your needs and what your interests are so that they can properly assist you in that process. But remember, finances enable, but they don't determine the enjoyment of your life, not in retirement or otherwise. How can younger people who may be listening make sure that they have enough money to retire comfortably? <laughs> It's such an obvious question, but I did want to ask. I know, and so few people when they're young think about their retirement. But I, all I can say is save as much as you possibly can. Maybe find a few policies to cover your children's education and so on so that you don't have to dip into your, into your savings. But live within your means. Don't chase the Joneses. Live within your means. Keep your loans to a minimum and work on a retirement funding plan. And then it may sound obvious, but get your house and your car paid off before you retire so that your big expenses can be taken care of. There, there are all sorts of other things where one can really look at how you can condense down a little bit, maybe a bit more minimalist, perhaps you don't need such a big place. But I think, the, the especially for younger people, don't overreach. Um, that, that, I would say, is probably the biggest drawback going forward. And then the million-dollar question, of course, is, what can retirees who suddenly wake up to the fact that their money isn't enough do to help themselves? If you possibly can, retire as late as, as your company will allow you to. Maybe even see if you can uh, get a contract job or do a part-time work. Whatever you do, see that you can bring some income for as long as possible. And then for some people, um, develop a hobby into a business or look at doing something like being a companion to an even older person or connect with younger kids and do a kind of a rent-a-granny or a grandpa kind of scene. But see if you can get some income uh, going. But also, one can really live quite frugally. You can grow some of your own vegetables in your own garden. And then there are quite a few specials. Um, my favorite greengrocer has a, has a pensioner's discount on a Wednesday and a Thursday, and I know that several other businesses do that too. So make a point of looking for, for those discounted days. They, they make a difference. Every little bit helps. To summarize, Haniki, do you believe we can embrace aging? 
Absolutely. But now think about this. If we don't, we're going to be miserable for a long, long time. <laughs> so what's the alternative to longevity? Yes. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah. Where can listeners learn more about your work, including your book? I have a website, drhaniki.ca.za, and the book is on Amazon, Distilled Wisdom. And you're also on Instagram, aren't you? I'm terrible on Instagram. I'm much more on Pinterest. Uh, oh, Pinterest yeah. is my thing. So they, if they look for Dr. Haneke on Pinterest, and I have some really lovely pages, especially around positive living and dealing with stress and anxiety and good food and things like that. Yeah, so, and that's yeah. for all ages. Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Pinterest is my thing. Now it's time for your four tips for positive aging, please. <laughs> right. It's difficult to choose, but I would say be proactive on your own behalf. Do everything that you can to remain fit and healthy. Find people to connect with. And preferably move to a safe environment where there's company entertainment and backup when you need it. Moving at an older age is terrible. You don't want to do that more than once so find a facility that can take you forward for as long as you're prepared to be on the planet and then my my little saying timiest planning prevents panic thank you Haniki. and now you, i hope you're ready for your fun question <laughs> let's see what you have for me there <laughs> as usual i'm going to ask you a question which contains a fantasy element if you could be a podcaster and here comes the fantasy part If you could record a podcast with any person from the past, which person would you love to interview? You know who I would really like to speak to is George Burns. Now, he was that American comedian, and I actually wrote about him quite a lot in in my book. But he was the most amazing and positive person in spite of the fact that he had almost no education, he left school at 14. And yet he had this fantastic career and his, just his way of being and the way that he said things and grasped concepts and was able to convey them. I would love to have met him in person. Now you make me feel I'd like to have met him too. Yes. Are there any YouTube videos of him? I, I don't know. I found a lot of what he'd written. Mm. There's one uh, little bit that I can send you of what he said, how to live to be 100. And um, it is hilarious, <laughs> but so true. He, he talks about antioxidants and he says, nowadays we have to worry about rusting. <laughs> <laughs> And we do have to worry about rusting. So he just had such a lovely way of, of seeing the world. And in fact, his lifestyle was quite irreverent. He, um, he's always pictured with a martini in one hand and a big cigar in the other. So a lot of our rules for what we think healthy living, he, he just didn't bother about. But he had fun and mm. he was so positive. Mm. And I think those mm. things just pulled him through. Mm. And he had difficult times, you know. His wife died when they were still quite quite young and he had to kind of reinvent himself after that. So it wasn't uh, a bit of roses at all, but fantastic attitude. Mm. Well, thank you for unpacking this for us. And I think what you've just said touches on many of the points. Like George Burns, who had 
the positive outlook and who had fun, which is something I don't think many of us allow ourselves to have. And with your time, affluence, maybe you can have a bit of fun? Yes. Just one other thing. There are so many wonderful comedy shows. I'm such a fan of the dry bar comedy. It's good, clean fun. And goodness me, they can make you laugh. So there's nothing that picks you up like a good laugh. Thank you. Thank you very much, Haniki, for sharing all of this with us. chatting with you. And to our listeners, I appreciate your joining us. I'd be honored if you'd subscribe to this podcast series and rate it where you download your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable, please share it with someone you care about. Go to my website www.marietsneeman.co.za for this episode's podcast notes and for free articles and podcast episodes on how to live a happier life and have more fulfilling relationships. To follow me on Facebook, just search for Mariette Sneeman Journalist. Calm, Clear and Helpful is compiled, hosted and edited by me with original music by Mart-Marie Sneeman. Catch you next Tuesday at 9.00.